Maybe the air gave me the drive For I'm all aglow and alive What a day this Welcome to Extended Clip, episode 20. I'm one of your hosts, Eddie Averill. I'm Malcolm Baum. I'm J.T. White. And joining us on the phone all the way from the East Coast is writer and our friend, Evan Amaral. Hey, how's it going? Pretty good. I mean, we already did that off mic. (laughs) (laughs) You know how it goes. That's going to be every single time I ever uh, have someone on a podcast to do the inverse is just like, that's the biggest lie ever. And I listen to so many podcasts where it's like, how you doing? And it's like. Did they really just like start recording the second they got together? It's for the fans. The fans want to know how people are doing. You know, it's like what what if you know we were friends and stuff like that. Well, in that case, but is it better or worse if they do it before they record and then just fake it again afterwards? That's much worse. That's yeah. lying. That's much worse. <laughs> we lie. There's there's a there's a good tweet from John Boyce voice whatever that says uh like i don't listen to podcasts that are edited because editing is a form of lying uh, <laughs> and that's uh what you just described is the actual uh unironic version of that yeah. is actually lying on a podcast <laughs> uh, which i do every week yeah exactly you got to keep things entertaining well today we are here to talk about a couple of films brigadoon the vincent minnelli uh musical from 1954 and the A Pitchet Pong Where a Seth a Cool film, Syndromes in a Century, from 2006. Now, Evan brought this double feature to us, and uh, why don't you tell the folks at home uh, why you picked out these films? Well, partially it was because these are two of my favorite filmmakers, and two of my favorite films of theirs that I haven't seen in a couple years at least. So I really wanted to go back and look at them and have been thinking about them lately, just because... There's a lot of things going on in my head about rural and urban divisions coming from growing up in a small town and now going to college in the city. And also in terms of just things going on in the world in terms of structural inequalities there between those different regions. And these are movies that really speak to that in utopic and really weird romantic ways. Um, And they're both just so lovely and uh, they're great love stories and <laughs> I have a lot of affection for both of them. Yeah. I think every, a pitch pong movie you could qualify as like, uh, it's a great love story and then laugh self-consciously after you say it. Kind <laughs> of like, uh, yeah, it's but definitely, these uh, these are so funny. And oh, yeah, syndromes sure. is syndromes. I think is the funniest. I think that's what caught me off guard on rewatch is, uh, I remember too, is how funny it was. Yeah. I remember that one being the one that felt the slowest to me the first yes, time around. Exactly. And I, it doesn't help that I watched it, you know, before bed, a pitch punk, you got to get, up early in the morning (laughs) uh and so this time around i was laughing through the whole thing and it's like oh this is just as lighthearted as uh, any of his funniest work for sure yeah and so are we which one are we going to be talking about first because they both are kind of in the uh the a movie category with brigadoon being kind of a big budget mgm musical uh which which one did you want to go for first i don't know this is interesting my gut tells me to like let's just go chronologically and talk about Brigadoon first that makes sense because I also think the themes going on in Brigadoon kind of set a foundation for what's going on later in syndromes so I think that makes a little bit more sense but if, if 
it's up to you guys if you want to be strict with the rules <laughs> or anything. <laughs> we can't lie on the podcast. I mean, JT and Malcolm are looking at me with the the scared look. No, let's, uh, that let's can fucking only, do Brigadoon. That can only be given by someone, uh, you know, controlled by an authoritarian leader such as myself. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think Brigadoon first is great because yeah, uh, Syndromes in a Century is definitely the uh, the more obvious high art, if you will. But mm-hmm. you know, fuck it, let's do it. Uh, Brigadoon, Vincent Minnelli, nineteen fifty four, adapted from a mu- a stage musical of the same name. Uh, the rights cost a pretty penny, but this ended up not being like the most successful MGM musical for, I guess, for good reason. It's kind of a str- it's a strange one, you know, and I'm not that equipped to talk about where it fits in Minnelli's filmography because uh, Confession Time this is my first encounter with Vincent Minnelli. Uh, so, oh, shit. Yeah, it really took me back. Like it was just completely. You were in for a treat. Yeah, I am definitely going to explore more in the near future. But uh, Evan, why don't you tell us a little bit about Brigadoon? Brigadoon sort of starts where you have these two guys who um, they work in this like corporate office in New York City. It's Gene Kelly and Van Johnson, right? Van Johnson's the mm-hmm. guy. Um, and they're really bummed and they're bored and alienated because they're part of your professional class in the city. And... <laughs> So they go on a hunting trip to Scotland and they happen upon this village called Brigadoon and everyone is really shocked to see them when they get there. And it turns out that all of these people are actually like, okay, so you guys are actually going to have to help me a little bit here. I've seen this movie twice and I still don't totally understand the <laughs> the fucking mythology that we have going on here. Yeah. So, but it, Oh, go ahead. <laughs> no, go ahead, Eddie. Take it. Take it from here. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, as the uh, as the noted expert on fantasy fiction <laughs> mythology, uh, <laughs> I should take the lead on this. No, obviously, that's something that is like an immediate obstacle for me in cinema is like when you get into this bullshit. It is for deep me too. Lore. I I really I really have a hard time with it. It's yeah. so tedious to me. Yeah, but I read a one sentence description of the movie before I watched it, and that's literally all I needed to know about the lore. Uh, everything they explain in the movie is like overdone but it doesn't matter because of everything else that's happening within the movie uh but the the special set of circumstances is that this village of brigadoon comes alive for one night every hundred years that hundred years acts as a hibernation period for all of the uh villagers and so they don't age much you know even though they're 300 years old they're really three days from the start of this mythology which is all documented in this giant book that gene kelly leafs through for about three seconds to figure (laughs) out what the deal is (laughs) (laughs) Which is great because it is all you really need to know before later on someone explains it in more detail, which is fine. You know, that scene later on, not to get too ahead of ourselves, but there's a there's a very heavy exposition scene later on where an old man is describing uh, in depth the mythology here and it comes past the halfway point in the movie. So you think the exposition should be over and it's kind of boring, but it kind of does lean into the uh, second half of our double feature as this, it's this long still take kind of indulge in Mm -hmm. that beautiful painted background. And you can kind of just zone out of the dialogue (laughs) and just appreciate the composition that Minnelli's holding on for upwards of what, four minutes it feels like. Yeah. And there's, I think there's a really unique quality to this movie in that it sort of feels like the whole point of it, even though there's all this really complicated lore 
is that don't think about it too hard. That's kind of the lesson of the movie mm-hmm. because it's it's about these people that are like, their lives are so complicated and so careerist and they find this magical place in the wood that by no logical means should exist. And they just have to basically, they become so enchanted by it. They stop worrying about it. So we stop worrying about it too. Mm-hmm. And the, like the conclusion, the way the movie concludes, you know, it's kind of a simple way too, where the character thought it was going to be harder to access this world again. Yeah. It's, and it's unbelievably cathartic too. Oh my God. It's just, yeah. I thought it yeah. was going to have a sad ending. I love when uh, old Hollywood movies uh, can still trick me like that, where the low <laughs> yes, point exactly. of a character, I'm like, are they actually going to fucking pull a sad ending on this? And then you get that classic hollywood ending and it's just pure bliss and it's like it's so corny and shouldn't work but it's incredibly moving and all of these people that are working on this movie are just like at the peak of their craft and are just the absolute best at selling that old hollywood ending Uh, i mean it's unbelievable so there are we did get ahead of ourselves but to be frank there are maybe six plot points in this movie uh and it's a musical so that's excusable there's a lot of long musical sequences and even non-musical sequences where the score is swelling and the Mm -hmm. characters are just walking around and it should be a musical sequence but it's fine not being one and uh Evan, do you want to talk us through kind of the few how the relationship works uh, at the center of this movie and the the main plot happenings? So Gene Kelly and Van Johnson, when they get to this village, are all the villagers are really fascinated by them and they're really fascinated by the situation and everyone's kind of trying to figure out what's happening. And they happen to stumble upon Sid Charisse, who's doing it one of the weirdest accents I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> and, and so her sister is getting married uh, that night and she meets Gene Kelly and it's sort of a love at first sight situation. And she, and you, you get to the first of one of these two solo dance sequences between Gene Kelly and Sid, Sid Charisse that bookend the film and are just like, take your breath away gorgeous, oh, yeah. uh, where they go and pick Heather on the hill. Uh, and that's where they fall in love. And so they are faced with the conundrum of how do we make this work when she is essentially 300 years old and goes to sleep every night and wakes up in another century. <laughs> and he is uh, an average guy from, you know, the greatest fucking city in the world. <laughs> so well, how are they supposed to make that work? And that's essentially like once you get into the third act, it's, you know. Yeah, you you get a little peek at what their real life is here in the third act. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get just this like slam cut into New York City uh, the hustle oh, and bustle so is mm-hmm. in full effect. And then you see people dressed in normal clothes mm-hmm. for the first time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, you see Van Johnson lighting three cigarettes yeah. at one time. <laughs> oh, just he fantastic. Does this, he does this amazing thing where the two guys at the bar next to him won't leave him alone. <laughs> and so he orders three drinks and sets them out with their own lit cigarettes in the <laughs> seats next to him so that no one will sit down. <laughs> Absolute power move. And like... It, all of this kind of most of the city sequence kind of takes in pl- takes place inside of a bar yeah. slash restaurant. The entire, yes. yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the entirety of it. And the like the, thing does. the sound design of that bar is just oh. literally oppressive. It's just it, it sounds like the worst thing in the world. All these people talking to each other about and just business. I have no idea how Minnelli directed it with the amount of people that they fucking cram into that bar. 
Yeah. It's ridiculous. And it's like, you just get this total visual and oral cacophony. And the crazy thing is the shots in this scene are going on for a really long time. Some of them are going on for a couple minutes. You don't really notice because you just get so lost in all the noise that it feels like everything is moving so much faster. Yeah, I feel like throughout the whole picture, there are so many people like cramped into the frame. But like, whereas the sequences in Brigadoon feel so much more expansive and open and like there's like it seems like a huge, lively, like populated village that like is just sort of out in the open. And then just like the city sequence just turns it on its head and it's so cramped and like stuffy. Yeah. And I think the one of the keys to uh, that dichotomy is the way that Minnelli incorporates the bend that you see in like early CinemaScope, like 50s CinemaScope thing, the center uh of the frame is kind of bent and you can't get like a perfect close-up right on their face you know that's why you don't see you know classic style close-ups in those 50s uh cinemascope experiments and i think the way that he uses this on the landscape in brigadoon is so expressive and these like huge vast shots of trees and hillsides and matte paintings are you know kind of curved and that's shown even more when the camera is in motion and then when you go into new york that curvature in the middle of the frame kind of just makes you feel more cramped the introductory shots of this film are incredible it's like when you first get to brigadoon it's just dissolving between these long takes of uh people waking up can you guys imagine seeing this on a print i like i feel like my head would explode oh my god yeah i would yeah maybe hey maybe one day Maybe one day. Maybe it's true. One day. We do live um, in the second greatest fucking city in the world. <laughs> city of angels. And I also love how you get introduced to this reprise that you hear throughout the movie, uh, where it's just sort of like a soft chorus of people singing the name Brigadoon, oh, so along good. with a couple other lines. And it's just like, ever since I watched this movie for the first time, I listened to that to fall asleep, and I have for like two years now. <laughs> so that's just like infiltrated part of my dreams and the way that our next filmmakers films uh, do. Uh, so that's another connection between these two. Dreaming of Brigadoon. Dreaming of a better place. I am. I'm over here dreaming of Brandon Fraser. <laughs> um, to speak on uh, some of the stuff of uh, city versus like the country angle of it. Uh, this reminded me and like part of the reason like once I like read up on like what Brigadoon was like was and, and I got really hyped about it it reminds me of like the John Ford films that are like flirtations with Dude, like yeah. uh, England and oh, Ireland yeah. oh yeah and the I, quiet man especially. oh absolutely yeah. and I just think like I love that like fascination uh, that those directors have with like a time period that like is like more uh, more recent to them obviously mm-hmm. and it's just sort of like wanting to like regress back to that and i mean there's a lot of that in like contemporary cinema like returning to like 70s 60s 50s whatnot yeah. and just to mm-hmm. see how they want like a very like how they paint that simple life and it's just like my god i want to fuck off out of la <laughs> and just like go into no. the woods and be alone yeah. I watched both of these movies and I was one of those people that I grew up in a rural small town and I was like, I'm going to get the fuck out of here. I will move to New York and it will solve all of my problems. And it's just, you know, the city's got a country boy down as Tyler Childers says, (laughs) you know, Um, I, I, as I get, I'm 
I say as I get older, even though I'm only 20 years old, but as I get older, I just keep being like, God, and as I was watching these movies, I was like, God, I just, I want to like fuck off to the middle of nowhere and just exist. Yeah. Uh, and another John Ford connection, uh, when Evan was talking about the the Brigadoon kind of chant that you hear throughout the movie, the refrain, the vocal refrain, uh, it reminded me of one that had a similar effect, uh, John Ford's Wagon Master. Uh, some of the, the call and response songs in that have a very similar like weight to them where they're just kind of these silly passing time passing devices. But, you know, hearing it two or three times in a movie really just sticks with you and just like in your brain represents the spirit of everything in that movie. You know, mm-hmm. I actually haven't seen Wagon Master as much as big as as big of a Ford fan oh. as I am. Wagon Master is like this weird anomaly. And I've only seen, I think, less than a dozen John Ford pictures at this point. But it's this weird anomaly where it doesn't have one of those huge performances from either John Wayne or Henry Fonda or whatever to, you know, carry it. And it's more of an ensemble. But that just means Ford is the star. And it's just like insane. I don't know. You see, out of that trilogy, though, I have seen She Wore a Yellow Ribbon. And that does have John Wayne in it. But he really is underplaying it. And the star is Ford, even though John Wayne is there and it's a really interesting tension a lot mm-hmm. I, I still have to check that one out yeah i highly recommend doing it the pedro costa way where he <laughs> extremely <talked> about, uh, <laughs> watching it extremely stoned which is what i did and it yeah. was wonderful <laughs> i mean uh i i will say this was actually mentioned on friend of the show nathan smith's inaugural episode of his podcast that like being stoned was kind of like an entryway into getting old hollywood movies and, oh yes uh, absolutely for me too yeah and like some stuff with like uh ford and i hate to go back to you know mythology but it's a different type of mythology you know but that mythology of the west only became accessible to me kind of through those means and i'm fine with it in any capacity now mm-hmm. you know but that's like how i got there for sure you need to open your third eye <laughs> <laughs> you need to th- open your third eye and learn about the way of the west the cinema, <laughs> the cinema watching eye. <laughs> We were at the New York scene chronologically, and there Gene Kelly talks to his fiance, who we've heard mention of. You know, actually, I think her first mention only comes like an hour into the movie mm-hmm. uh, when he's just fully head over heels in love with Sid Charisse, and his friend tells him, you know, what about what about Jane or whatever? And uh, he's just like, oh, yeah, you know, I am <laughs> engaged. but <laughs> uh, So, yeah, he listens to her talk and is just getting the full-on zone out <laughs> oh yeah that's so great, <laughs> great. Yeah, he explains it before he's just like sometimes someone says one word and i can't stop thinking about brigadoon and then the soundtrack literally just like fades into the song yeah it's so good. as he's sitting there and it's such a good gag because it's just a, like it's just like a four minute two shot of yeah. like one half of the frame is Gene Kelly and one half is his fiance and she's just like yammering and you can't understand what she's saying because <laughs> you just keep hearing Sid Cherie <laughs> sing in his head. And he looks the other way a couple times too, He's which is just amazing. Head. That's just he like... has his head in his hands looking the opposite direction. A landmark performance yeah. in ignoring your girlfriend. <laughs> Legendary zone out. <laughs> we love to see it. <laughs> Oh, it's so good. So... See, musicals can be for boys. <laughs> There's always a little something for the fellas in there. I mean, something for the fellas, like to tie to, like, I mean, because I feel like we haven't talked about, like, the actual musical Oh, wait, scene. can I say something? Yeah. 
Speaking of something for the fellas, uh, we need to talk about Gene Kelly's butt. Oh yeah, he's, yeah, he's uh, yeah. didn't notice it. <laughs> <laughs> because do you guys do you guys remember that Tumblr blog Gene Kelly's butt from all those years ago? I don't. I know. It was just gifts of Gene Kelly's ass, and I remember okay. seeing gifts of it, uh, gifts from Brigadoon before I saw the movie <laughs> yeah. on there, and just and just being like, okay, I only know this guy by his ass, and then watching <laughs> Brigadoon and just being like, oh, he's a really great dancer too, but he does have a really fat ass, <laughs> <laughs> and that's part of his skill, you know. He, he's, an <laughs> really like he's an eighty-pound Olympian, but yeah. he's he's packing heat, you know, yeah. <laughs> he packing is. heat in the sheets. He has a fucking wagon. Talk about a wagon. <laughs> <laughs> the real wagon yes, master. Minnelli is his wagon master. Yeah. <laughs> and did did Kelly choreograph this or did he have a hand? Yes, he did. Yeah. He choreographed all of the numbers in this, as he did in I feel like some of his other films with Minnelli, but I'm not sure. I know he co-directed with Stanley Don in a lot. Oh, okay. He's he's another figure I really need to do a deeper dive on. He's also a fellow traveler, a comrade, so nice. You know, <laughs> keep your eyes out. Keep your eyes out. <laughs> Speaking of travel, they they did want to shoot this on location initially, and uh, Gene Kelly took a trip and he did some location scouting. Actually, I think it was Kelly and Manelli. And uh, that's a great, they should do like a two-man comedy bit, Kelly and Manelli. Uh, but um, they... There should be a Ryan Murphy miniseries. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Kelly, Kelly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, after location scouting, they realized the dream was impossible. But I think shooting this not on location and in Hollywood, USA, as the end title states, it's a great decision because it's just like everything that I want in the artificiality of classic Hollywood is right here for me. Mm -hmm. And it produces a unique, it produces a unique color palette too that, you know, you can't get just from shooting real life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, when their first dance number, uh, Sharice and Kelly, that is the, the mix of like purple and Brown in that scene is like, I've never seen anything like that. I don't know. It's, it's weird because they're not the bright colors you associate with MGM musicals, uh, but it's incredible. Yeah. I was going back and, watching that number today and i was watching it on youtube and i'm trying to i uh i took a screenshot of it i'm trying to find it right now i saw the most fucking deranged like retiree comment about (laughs) uh first comment about gene kelly (laughs) i love going to the comment section just give me a extended clip remembers the comments (laughs) i'm thumbing up we remember we always check the comments i'm thumbing up people i like and i'm thumbing down the ones i don't you guys ever have like a discuss account like you ever make one of those because a lot of sites you have to log in to discuss to comment d-i-s-q-u-s i feel like i probably made one but like and didn't use it that often i was i like more youtube comments yeah exactly that's my bread and butter More than a YouTube comment fan, I am a forum head. Oh. Uh, yeah, the message boards are where it's at. Ultimate That's, comments. Yeah, because then you you it's more of a long form entertainment. Okay, you, know, you learn it. about I the characters it. and yeah. <laughs> oh, go ahead, Evan. Sorry. <laughs> so so um, Susan Lloyd says Gene Kelly was also the choreographer. When he does a partner dance, he's always the Tiffany setting to the sparkling diamond that is woman with a capital W. (laughs) (laughs) That's one of the reasons that I adore him. That's well written. (laughs) That is like the... Uh, definition of the uh, the emoji with like three water drops that's like squirting yeah, out. The yeah. cum. Yeah. Cum emoji. Is that okay? I, I'm, 
I mean, that is what that is. It's you could interpret it because it's like blue any, or it's water too. Yeah, you, I mean, <laughs> yeah, but like, <laughs> look, this what? Is like that type of podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, after zoning out his girlfriend in epic fashion, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he realizes that his heart is in Brigadoon and he has to go no matter what. When Doug tells him, you know, over the phone that there's nothing there for him to see, you know, they learned that it's gone now. He says that I know it's not there, but I want to see where it was. And that's kind of what led me to believe we were going to get a really romantic, sad ending because that's such a beautiful line. And like, it is like hokey, you know, but like it's, it really works for the situation, especially buying into Gene Kelly's performance as much as I did, you know? And uh, so they go and the old man's there and the prophecy was fulfilled the miracle happened he loved her so much that brigadoon opened back up for him old man like with his shirt pretty much completely unbuttoned <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was just woken up man <laughs> chill as fuck yeah you got to get the draft that classic brigadoon draft in yeah. your chest when you sleep even in brigadoon you got to do some bronzing you know what i mean <laughs> I bet when you watch this on a print, you can just see the little chest hairs fluttering <laughs> in, the, in the Scottish wind. We live for the details, the oh, texture, yeah. all of that. I need to see it on a print now. I mean, like, the, the HD restoration that's currently out there is okay. Like, yeah. I, I'm glad that it's available in 1080. But it's not quite as good as it could be. Oh, no. It looks like one of those Blu-rays you bought when the PS3 first came out, you know? and it's Yeah, like, exactly. It's whatever. Yeah. It could use a lot of work. So, hopefully, you know, hey. Kino Lorber, uh, also we know Lorber. you're listening. Yeah. <laughs> Get on shit. and yeah. pay us for recommending. Yeah. And, and, and maybe yeah. use a little bit of that Brigadoon magic in the restoration <laughs> process. <laughs> oh man! Well, uh, I think that's going to wrap up our Brigadoon segment. Um, Evan, do you want to give any final thoughts before assigning a rating on the scale of one to five bullets? I'm glad that you guys all really like took to this as much as you did because it's a movie that just every time I see it, the longer it stays with me, the more it just rises in my estimation and means more to me as sort of like a source of comfort, but also of something that just is such a pinnacle of like what I think cinema can achieve on a base level, like as a popular art form and then also just as an aesthetic object. Uh, and it, yeah, this is, this is five bullets. Yeah. This is a five bulleter. If, if I know, if I know what a five bulleter is. Damn. All right. What about you, Malcolm? Loading the clip. Um, I'm going to give this, <laughs> I'm going to give this four and a half bullets. And yeah, I mean, I really like this. I haven't seen that many musicals or that much Minnelli. This is like my second one, but uh, I'm definitely going to check out more. And he, he kind of, I feel like throughout this movie kind of has this rhythm to his musical sequences that I really respond to where they kind of deflate in the middle and they'll just be like a little bit of dancing and then they'll come back for like a, a nice climax. And mm-hmm. I, it just, it really got me every time. So uh, yeah, good shit. Nice. I also think it was good shit. <laughs> I, I'm going four bullets on this one. I'm not a musical head nor a fantasy head in any regard, but uh, for everything I said, you know, I could easy, easily sing, uh, myself bump it up on further evaluation uh and just like not even with rewatch i feel like this one's just gonna kind of stick in my craw for a while so a tentative four bullets from me what about you jt um yeah i'm gonna echo malcolm's sentiment Hell with yeah. a big old four and a half bullets straight to the dome uh i don't like 
post like misbehaving being caught in my head for like weeks, <laughs> I've been like itching to see some great tap. Uh, and boy, did this deliver. And like now I like uh, like I definitely after this, I'm going to seek out some more musicals, some more Minnelli for sure, mm-hmm. um, just because it's such a uh, perfect little fantasy and like even like also like I think we're on the record being fuck lore yeah um, but uh, I just you get caught up in that magic and I mm-hmm. want to check out more of this unless you want to know about the fuck lore because that's, <laughs> that's some lore I'm interested in <laughs> you guys have to watch meet me in St. Louis oh yeah I've missed multiple screenings of that while that is yeah. that is that is just like one of the best movies ever made. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, we will be right back on Extended Clip. I left my gal in old Virginia, behind the wagon train. And we're back on Extended Clip. Uh, before we get into the second film of the week, did you guys watch anything else that you want to talk about this week? Yeah, you know what? I watched a little uh, Jesus Franco movie, and this was my first one. Um, and this is this is someone I know. I'm just gonna devour. Of I'm gonna, course, I'm gonna love this shit. And it was I. I've actually I've been meaning to. I wanted to watch Venus and Furs for some reason for the first my first Franco, but I just said fuck it and watched. Mm. I got just found one I could get a nice HD rip. Nice. Of, and uh, that was the movie Succubus. You know, going through his filmography, he directed so many fucking movies. Like, a lot, a lot of, of fucking movies. A lot too. of fucking movies. And this one, this one, you know, it still has its erotic elements, but it's it's more of like it's definitely more of like an art house movie than like a I don't know something to jack off to. I'd say. Um, well, that goes for all of his movies. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. like yeah, there's like well, a, it depends <laughs> on who you are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. And this, yeah, this one is basically you have this, you have this woman, right? And she's a succubus. She's a, a demon, and she's uh, shackled up with this, I don't know, this random guy. I don't even who watches her in a play, and uh, she just basically runs with this guy in his social milieu, and but killing people in the process, and like these really washed out dream sequences, like some of the most washed out, like overexposed yeah, just it looks gauzy looking yeah it looks great and it's um you know and the the dialogue is pretty ridiculous it's a lot of it is a uh, they they have this weird sex game where they just name uh artistic figures at each other which you know could be authors painters filmmakers godard gets a couple of shout outs yeah. um, i was going to say that sounds like something from a godard movie yeah, yeah. basically it, i mean it came out 68 all, after all of those uh, oh, shit. Okay. those trendy you know tumblr core godard movies came out the gifables yeah and um some you know, redoubtable <laughs> and like maybe franco uh took a little inspiration from them but it's a uh, it, it was honestly a great watch and it's you know pretty incoherent but it's never boring it's like 80 minutes and um i'm always watching i'm always watching uh movies with or not with my roommate my roommate will be walking around i will notice he watched the entire thing no phone peeking damn and i didn't even tell him to he just sat down and so maybe he got maybe he got succubied <laughs> maybe he got succubused but uh yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna watch I'm gonna watch some more Franco. You know who who knew that James Franco's dad would be so talented? Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, dude. Uh, Venus and Furs. You know, I'll download that. We'll uh, we'll watch it for a sleepover. That'll Hell be nice. Yes, 
Uh, what about you, JT? Um, yeah, I haven't really been watching many flicks. I've been mm. in a lot of transit recently, coming back here to Los Angeles. Um, but I had some time to revisit an old favorite TV show. Um, I finished up, I mean, Gemstones had this, uh, season finale recently and I've been itching for more McBride Goggins content. And so I've started up a, uh, vice principles rewatch. Um, and I just plowed through the first three episodes and just so much happens so quickly. It like, I think it's, um, the best of all the McBride like Hill stuff, um, and it just right out the gate like shows so much like promise. I think like one like particularly fascinating element for me is like the score that it's like a hybrid of like very carpenter like synths and also like the high school yeah. like sort of like marching band, band yeah. like yeah. stuff. And I think that works really well for like the tone of the show. And it's just like uh, Malcolm, you were saying earlier, just like top tier Goggins. Like mm, he yeah. is just on fire and like also with the fits such a style <laughs> icon i want to, like to wear all of that um but it's just to speak to more of like the dramatic elements of it i think one like thing that's really like on lock here like the other part of the mcbride work is like how quickly uh it can like sort of weave between the dramatic and comedy oftentimes uh, in the same scene and like one like particular scene that stuck out to me is like uh, when Belinda Brown comes into the, the school at first and is like changing things up uh, she makes uh, McBride's Neil Gamby fire the uh, old mm. secretary and it's just like a really heartbreaking scene because like you experience like a little bit of like her character um, like in the first two episodes but then she's also just like fucking like throwing like cups on his desk at the end when she's trying to leave and just screaming about that she he he should call up her husband because and tell him that they need to start shopping at the thrift store and it's like this it's such a perfect like balancing act between drama and comedy and uh if you haven't seen this one uh, check it out, folks. Yeah. One thing I like to do with the David Gordon Green, Jody Hill McBride shows is watch an episode and think, all right, who directed this one? Because D- McBride actually, he directs a good amount of Vice Principals and Gemstones, or I think maybe one or two episodes of Gemstones. But uh, one thing I've noticed in the McBride episodes, a uh, shit ton of slow-mo. So, yeah. just oh, little right on. F- feel like playing games. <laughs> I got one for you. And I will say that as a Southerner, and especially as someone who's from the same town as Danny McBride, that all of these shows are the single most on-point depiction of the American Southeast in any media right now. Oh, right on. I spent a lot of time, like I have, uh, like my grandmother lives um, like right outside of Myrtle Beach. And so I spent a lot of time down south mm-hmm. as like a youth on vacations. And I really do, that aspect of the of all the shows is phenomenal. And I love, it's There's just- There's so much texture and detail that it's just absolutely like just dead on accurate that I haven't seen in anything else. And it's just, it's the best. It's so funny. Well- what about you, Evan? Is there anything uh, notable you've checked out recently you want to report on for the podcast? Well, I haven't really watched anything in the past week other than some things for class that I wasn't too crazy about. But um, 
the not this past weekend, but the weekend before, I was in the greatest city in the fucking world, uh, New York City. Except that's not the greatest city in the fucking world. I <laughs> can confirm LA. now. Um, so we'll see about that, guys. <laughs> LA, As baby. we can't even open the window because there's yet another fire. <laughs> After both of these movies, I don't think there. Maybe there is no greatest city in the world. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so I went to the last weekend to the New York Home Festival and saw some stuff that was playing in. Um, no, yeah, they were main slate things, but they were uh, encores. Oh, okay. Stuff they got encores. So, I'll, the two that I liked the most, I'll quickly run them down. The first one was Wasp Network by Olivia Assayas, uh, which absolutely bangs. It goes so fucking hard. I don't know why everyone is shitting on it. <laughs> it's. Um, I wish it was six hours long, and it would actually be way better if it was six hours long, because it and if anything, it uh, I will say it is a little, it, it's it suffers with how much it has to cram into the amount of time it has to work with. But it's just like the cast is all at the top of their game. It's flagrantly a uh, pro Castro, just in like the best possible way. Um, apparently, Asias and the cast had to leave town that week because of protesters or something like that oh wow um but um i also saw kiyoshi kurosawa's to the end of the earth which is just like one of the most affirming things i've seen in such a long time it's so cathartic and just wonderful and beautiful and it sadly doesn't have american distribution so if it is playing around any of you listening or any of you guys i you know highly suggest you make the effort to check it out are you a big a uh, Olivier Assayas fan in general? Big fan. Oh, okay, because I've sensed quite a bit of like fatigue around him more than pretty much any other like big art filmmaker going right now, uh, especially with nonfiction coming out. That yeah. was like people hated yeah. that one. It seemed like I I think there's a little bit of Claire Denis. Um, oh, that too. Yeah, fatigue, fatigue yeah. coming around the corner because High Life. After, you know, after all the festival hoopla, just talking about the come, yeah, oh. <laughs> uh, it, it really didn't register. I feel like when it came out here, like I went to see it with my friends, and none of us spoke about it again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, High Life didn't stick with me the way I thought it was going to. I walked out of the theater thinking it was like mid to upper tier Denis, mm-hmm. and now me it's too. Like way further down in my estimation. It's way down. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I even bumped it down on Letterboxd, you Damn. know, and I, I don't often go back and alter scores, you know, full disclosure. Mm-hmm. Last night, I was just, I was I was up in some scores last night. I was in a good up mood. Some, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, speaking of that, extended clip canon, by the way, I gave Problem Child three and a half bullets, by the way. I've bumped it to four. Hell yeah. You know, it's a classic. I saw a screen slate tweet go about Problem Child, and like, I, it just shows, like, the show's really popping off. Our influence is really starting to show. <laughs> For sure, man. <laughs> <laughs> screen slate, they're definitely listening. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, they got ears on the ground, you know. So, speaking of ears on the ground, you know who always has ears on the ground? Armand White. Yes. And <laughs> I didn't My think favorite. I was going to talk about him again this week, but I was looking for stuff to say. About- you can't help yourself. 
Yeah, I can't help it. You know, I revisited Mr. 3000 this week. Oh my week. God. That's an Armand White classic. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I remembered him liking it, but I didn't remember him going to such lengths. But anyway, Mr. 3000 is a film by Charles Stone III from 2004. Charles Stone III, known for his sports movies, including uh, the recent Uncle Drew, which, you know, we're Uncle Drew fans on this podcast. Uh, he also did Drumline, which I hated in high school because I played in like jazz band and did Drumline for one day and uh, was like, fuck this shit. Yeah. You know? Also, Paid in Full, one of one of a great gangster movie. That's one of the best gangster movies. I still haven't seen Paid in Full. It's been on my watch list for years. Definitely underrated. But anyway, Mr. 3000 is a true they don't make them like this anymore type story. <laughs> it's like starring Bernie Mac. And uh, it's about like post-career financial problems of athletes and all of these issues that are never brought up in sports movies because they're always just about, you know, legacy and teamwork or whatever. And this is quite a bit about teamwork. Mr. 3000 himself, uh, he's obsessed with that stat himself having 3000 hits. He doesn't care about winning, you know, and uh, he does a very obvious transformation to be a more uh, team player. But this had everything I want in a baseball movie or a sports movie even, you know, the second those mid-2000s ESPN graphics hit, I was just like in heaven. And I was just sent back to when this film was originally released on video after theaters and I rented it from Blockbuster and was having the same reactions to seeing, you know, MVP baseball 04 footage on screen. I was like, that's me, man. Uh, but uh, I it was just fantastic and it's really funny. And Bernie Mac gives like, such an incredible performance and i thought i was overhyping it in my head and on twitter and then i pull up armand white who compares it to the way robert brisson got actors to perform and he says uh, i I quote from white's review of mr 3000 or he's quoting brisson here saying when the model is free of all intentionality his expressiveness is adequate for filmmake for the filmmaker and white says this is not just a high art command. One gorges on the honest and authentic humor of Max characterization. Wow. And he's not fucking wrong. Like there are some <laughs> scenes in here that have some of the most subtle acting I've seen in like, and this is pretty much a comedy movie, you know, he has its dramatic beats though. And I haven't seen that much subtlety from like a comedic performer outside of a couple Sandler roles that I'll stand uh in decades really in terms of watching film like there's no one quite like bernie mac in this movie and it's such an anomaly because bernie mac is you know obviously a star we've repped the bernie mac (laughs) show on this podcast we've given it the promo uh he's obviously the greatest king of the kings of comedy special (laughs) and yet this is like the perfect encapsulation of what made bernie mac great as a performer on screen and it just happens to be a baseball movie that perfectly fits my needs. So uh, check it out, Mr. 3000. That's one of his like only leading role movies, yeah. correct? Yeah. Uh, in terms of like when you pull him up on Letterboxd, mm-hmm. it's all support. Like his bigger movies were in supporting roles, like yeah. the Oceans movies and shit like that. Yeah. I'll have to check out his uh, race reverse version of Guess Who's Coming to get Dinner with Ashton Kutcher, too. Pretty good. Uh, it's a good poster. <laughs> it just says the Guess Who, and it's like you just see Ashton Kutcher leaning in the door yeah. frame and Bernie Mac shutting him out, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. I saw that one with my mom and sister back in the day. That's a Classic. So, our second feature of the week, Syndromes in a Century, the 2006 film by a pitch upon where Seth Cool, the master of cinema, uh, really like one of the first 
contemporary art film directors I got into back in the day. And he's been mm-hmm. an all-time favorite since I first watched Tropical Malady, I guess. And uh, yeah, this is his very autobiographical, or not autobiographical, but more about his parents' uh, film. And it takes place in two hospitals, one rural and one in the city. And it's a film that somewhat repeats itself. Some of it changes, but you basically see the same handful of scenarios play out in terms of the dialogue over the film twice and each of them is altered in slight ways uh, outside of just the setting changing and it's a film about location differences and how that brings about differences in people and how a filmmaker is to show those differences through tone and how you create that tone through editing or lack thereof or movement and yeah, Pitch Upon Where Seth Cool is just on his shit in this movie. Uh, there's really no other way to describe how he directs it. It's just, I don't know. There's something about his style that locks me into his filmmaking uh, in that hypnotic rhythm that no one else really can do to me. No, yeah. And he's been, I first, I'm pretty sure I first watched one of his films when I was 16. And. Honestly, he's out of probably all the filmmakers alive today, the one that means the most to me personally, because I had like health problems and mental health problems in high school and stuff. And watching his movies kind of gave me a place to escape to and to just sort of be with my mind and be with my body and sort and just the, uh, the visceral feeling of the slowness and his absolute command over time and just you know the way you're even just the way you're sitting in the chair and just all of and all of these tiny little things they're the most therapeutic movies to me and this is i completely agree he's so on his shit with this one it's just it is his his style crystallized had you guys seen much a pitch upon going into this see i'm yeah i'm a pitch upon novice i i watched tropical malady earlier this year and it didn't quite register with me. I I thought it I thought it was good, but I didn't really attach to it. Although I will say, Syndromes in a Century, I definitely got it. I definitely really enjoyed this and got it got into yeah. it more. But like I could still, I still feel I feel like I'm I still need to watch a couple more of his movies to fully like get the, the big picture. Yeah, you know, if that makes sense, or no, invest a little bit more into. I it. I just now yeah. realized I said that about Tropical Malady. That was the second one I saw. I saw Cemetery of Splendor when it first came out. Uh, I went to a uh, theatrical showing of mm-hmm. it actually. Uh cuz it didn't get like proper distribution out here. I know it went to Netflix really early though. Mm-hmm. Uh but then there was a one night screening of it and I went to it and I thought it was like really good and it did things to me that I wasn't used to in movies, but I didn't quite love it or get a pitch pong. Yeah. And then I think Tropical Malady uh, really crystallized that, mm-hmm. like when I watched I it. I had the exact same sort of situation where I watched Cemetery of Splendor when it first came out and I really admired it, but I didn't know what to do with it. I it, it was just one of those movies that I watched and I was like, I don't understand what I just sat through. So I just kind of forgot about it. But then I remember I watched Uncle Boon Me next, and that was the one that really sealed the deal for me. What about you, JT? Um, yeah, I had seen like Syndromes in a Century. This was a rewatch for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and Uncle Boon Me, 
uh, Mysterious Object at Noon was probably the the one I've seen most recently. Nice. And I've always fucked heavy uh, yeah. with his style. It was nice to like, because Syndromes in a Century had been like a long while since I've given it yeah. uh, like a look. And like, I had forgotten like a great deal of it. But like, I mean, I feel like very fitting for like the dreamlike quality of the movie and like the, the way it plays with memory. Like, as I was watching it, it was all coming back to me and just like it was a, a really beautiful experience. Yeah, that experience of rewatching it and it coming back to you as it goes was so strange for me. Yes. Because, and I, I posted about this already a little bit on Twitter. But uh, yeah, I watched this film for the first time pretty late at night, like almost three years ago. I checked the log on Letterboxd and it was like January of 17, I think. Uh, and I think it was the last Apichitpong that I had to see before I had finished his filmography. And so it was kind of like a box checking thing, admittedly. Uh, that's probably why I wasn't like as attached as I should have been compared to the rest of his filmography, especially. But this time it's like every time something happened, it was like I is slightly familiar. I wasn't really sure. And yep. there were images that felt so deeply felt like oh i've had this image burned in my head for three years and i didn't even realize it you know uh, mm -hmm. like the image that the title goes over seven minutes in and then yes. like uh not the reverse but it almost looks like the reverse of it almost 10 minutes later when she's looking out the window and you see off the window the reflection of that same you know patch of greenery uh and the way that a pitchapong uses nature is always like one of my favorite things it's like the easiest way to attach on to him for me and this mm -hmm. being the most indoor set film that he has is probably why i've had trouble with it the first time but yeah and then as i said it's a repetitive film everything kind of happens twice and so as things were happening again the second time it was like I was remembering the first time again, you know, and it was this weird memory cycle that he creates. Uh, and it happens when you rewatch any of his films, you know, watching Malady and then Uncle Boonie, which is connected and then going back to Tropical Malady. And it's not like putting together the pieces like you usually would for a prequel or whatever, <laughs> uh, but it's kind of the sensory version of that. You know, you're not putting together plot. You're just putting together these feelings that he's bringing back. It also really helps that he, a lot of times his films will have recurring supporting characters and uh, recurring actors and things like that. And it just sort of, once you get through, I feel like, once you get through his filmography pretty much as a whole, and you start to then go back through it, you realize how much it functions as this one, like, massive organism yeah. that's constantly shifting and evolving with each time you return back to it. And... To me, that's just, you know, as I've been making my way around probably a second or third time for most of these movies recently, I'm just like, I'm thinking, you know, these are going to be with me forever and they're just going to keep mutating and taking on new meanings and new feelings and giving me that rush of, you know, remembering these images. Like the one that um, stuck out to me that I immediately had a very visceral like memory of was the uh all the prosthetic legs stacked in the corner of the back of the hospital while the dentist is drinking oh yeah that's such a good scene when they're drinking in that room uh you then later get a scene where 
a woman is not trying to do like she's trying to do some chakra shit to this <laughs> uh troubled young man who's like you see him first hitting tennis balls in the hallway and she's just not getting anything from him you know mm-hmm. uh but while it's happening one woman is just looking the opposite way basically <laughs> directly into camera and it's one of the funniest things in the film because it's yeah. one of the more serious moments from some characters perspectives and then you realize that it's just this kind of weird thing you're watching that shouldn't mm-hmm. like be going on probably yeah. Deli- delivers the mugging and I, I i connected to that scene just as someone who's like i consider myself like a pheromone expert you know like <laughs> picking up on pheromones and producing them so it's funny to see a novice kind of do a fail attempt <laughs> um i think there's a there's an interesting connection between this and brigadoon and that there is a really big role. I mean, music plays a really big role in this movie oh my uh, God, yeah. and dance specific uh, music and dance at the ends of both of the halves. Cause at the end of the first half you have the perform, uh, you have the singer performing. And in that first half, you have the character who wants to be a country singer, mm-hmm. uh, the dentist. But then in the second half, it ends with that group doing a fitness dance class. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like, he's giving you this release at the end of each of the halves um, because of just sort of how relaxed they've been. It's like you get this physical release and there is like, I think there is a, you know, there's a connection there between that and Brigadoon in terms of, you know. Yeah. I think the way that Brigadoon starts and ends definitely like mirrors, not just the start and end of this movie, but even just the start and end of the first half or the middle and the end of the first half, you know, uh, with the two, uh, singing, uh, moments. But so of these scenes that we see repeated, one of them is a group of monks trying to get extra prescriptions for their, uh, monk homies at the monastery. Uh, and that is so funny. Trying each to time. gain them for some Zans. Yeah. They're just trying to get some perks, Zans, whatever. They're, they're just, they're just really trying to get high and I respect it. I mean, if you're, if you're like praying all day, you're on your knees all day and stuff, you might as well just get nice just and be fucked barred up. out. Yeah, barred out. And then, uh, so it's a pretty similar scene both ways. And then the next time, the next thing you see is the dentist. And so the first time in the rural setting, the dentist is singing and the monk is like <laughs> laughing because he's just like, all right, just like do the dentist shit already. Kind of like, <laughs> Yo, uh, chill. It's, it's so funny. Just this back and forth. And then that back and forth is recreated, but the dentist isn't singing. in the second one, it's literally just them covering his face with like the, the sheet to blind him or whatever mm. from the light and he just keeps tugging it down and they do it like four times back and forth before he says anything mm-hmm. uh and it's a pretty fun thing going back and forth on that but yeah those are like the main and then also uh a following of a potential uh romantic partner with hiding behind a statue is also a repeated motif uh once with like the statue of buddha being next to a basketball hoop and the other time it's like in the middle of the like facilities, outdoor grounds kind mm-hmm. of, uh, and all of these like mirroring images are, you know, they're kind of obvious, but they give you so many different things to think about in terms of comparing and contrasting. Yeah. I think like one of his really strongest uses of contrast here is like really just in the settings and that your whole first half is in that rural setting. You get these lush jungle you know, is that when you talk about that image that the title card appears over, I just think about the intense green that your eyes are getting with that. And it's just, 
I think the two halves sound really different too. Oh yeah. Like the um the first half you get a lot of you hear a lot of the wind in the trees and the leaves rustling and all of that, but the second half almost has this drone over it. And then you have that shot that's going up into the um the up vent. into the vents towards the end of the like right towards the end of the second half. So they look and sound so different environment wise and it's so interesting to just see how that impacts your responses to all of these funny little incidents because sort of like it recontextualizes them in ways that you don't realize. And that climactic shot of going towards the vent, I think that moment like and the scene after it paired with it is kind of like the thesis of a pitch of Pong's filmography. You know, you have this oh, yeah. movie defining image, uh, you know, of all of the nature that you saw before in this rural setting. Now you're in this extremely like sterile space for the second half. And you go more and more deeper into it until you get into this room where you're just looking at like padding on the walls and the room is covered in fog. That's just like disgusting. And you could tell the air quality. It's not fun to breathe in there. Like it would be outside in certain scenes of this movie. Uh, And then you just slowly push in on that air vent and then it mirrors the shot from the first half of the eclipse that you see uh the way that the air vent is just this flat like black circle and the the fog is passing over it and it's so easy to let your eyes kind of unfocus and i don't know this happened to me a couple times and it might have just been because my eyes were strained from looking at a screen for four hours straight but Mm -hmm. i was very easily going out of focus and like the black (laughs) circle of the vent would basically disappear and, and i would like catch myself and like refocus my eyes i'm like oh no the fog didn't totally take it over it's right there you know and it's like this weird play with stillness and then the movement within the frame that just lulls you into sleep and the the drone on the audio track behind it and then you just get that hard cut outside and you have this series of cuts of people just like walking around the outdoor facilities and they're walking towards the outdoor uh you know recreation area in like workout clothes and then the fucking banger of a workout song drops and you just see this like uh, dancer size number to end the film and it's just the most beautiful hilarious uh, like relief from suffocating drone that you just sat through for yeah. 10 minutes that was like the most beautiful form of suffocation possible but suffocating nonetheless I think that's such a, I'm realizing now that that's such a great parallel between this and Brigadoon because they be both right towards the end of the film approach this moment of utter like hopelessness where you're staring at this air vent and Gene Kelly is like, but I just want to see where it was. And then right after that, you just get these like corny, like tacky, just rushes of catharsis yeah. that completely alleviate the pain that you just went through. Um, and so as we said earlier, it is a very funny film. There's a lot of like the the number that it closes out on is a great kind of laugh to end on despite everything that you just watched. And there's some like ringtone humor, uh, which is great. You know, some good calls being made on the flip phones and the boner joke. Oh, oh yeah. Boner good chub yeah. dick cinema. The boner oh, yeah. joke is amazing. <laughs> oh yeah. It's like, so one of the great parallels is like the romance that you see because the first half you see more of the wooing process. And then in the second half, this relationship is already underway and they're having some problems, you know, but they still obviously are very passionate as they are 
you know, making out intensely at the workplace. Uh, and then, uh, you know, fellas, if you're listening, we've all had that moment. <laughs> <laughs> fellas, uh, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it's uh, the embrace is broken up by uh, her noticing uh, something gone awry in his pants. And you get a nice close up on that. And timing wise, it comes about the same time as the close up on a bear dick that you would see in one of a pitch pong's earlier films, blissfully yours uh, around the same time in the film. So he knows what he's doing, you know, with yeah. the way people's and minds there's, work. There's the boner joke in cemetery splendor too. There is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. There's a lot of good stuff in yeah. that department in his filmography. <laughs> What'd she expect? Didn't he also make uh, like... Um, like a Kung Fu movie about like, Oh yeah. It th- has there was in the title. Really... Yeah. Huh? Uh, yeah, what? he has a he has a movie called. Oh man, now I have to look it up. I'll cut this pause. Isn't but it let me called the up. Adventures of Iron Pussy or something like that. I think it is what? Iron Pussy. I think yeah. it's the was it Eight Lives of a Wet a Cat. Nine pussy? Lives of a Wet Pussy. That's <laughs> the, <laughs> the Abel Ferrara <laughs> film. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, he has a film. He has one film that's like an exploitation film that he co-directed. Uh, that probably still has his passion of filmmaking in it. But from what I've heard from the Apichitpong completists I know, uh, nothing really resembling his style in there. But probably still worth a watch. Yeah. Anyway, anything else you guys want to say about Syndromes in a Century before we wrap up? Uh, No, I'm going to... I But I liked it a lot and like just like thinking about it like I already like it more and I'm going to check out more pitch upon. I think, I think I get it. I think I'm smart enough to watch these movies. Now. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to give it a oh, yeah, yeah. Might as well. Yeah. Might as well. You know what? Since we're here, um, <laughs> four bullets. What about you, JT? Uh, yeah. I, again, to speak to the contrasts of it, I think like the humor really does a lot to like, uh, bring up like a high energy to like, uh the the slower moments of it and the slow moments are just so beautiful and tranquil it's like um like it's definitely a weed and chill movie (laughs) but you've put on a a pot of coffee and uh you like just the (laughs) moments that like break it up like the 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 singing and then the like scene the dance or i mean the dance exercise we mentioned at the end i just think it creates such a lively quality to it that like is so peaceful too um and this one uh like again like i had given it five bullets first time around i was unsure like i thought it might like dip um but i'm keeping it a a five bullet film Mm. four bowls of weed one pot of coffee (laughs) (laughs) Extended clip is the number one sober film podcast. Thank you very much. Uh, Sober living. So going to our guest, Evan, what about you? So I'm just going to go ahead and in honor of you guys' 20th episode, just empty both of my clips and give this one five bullets as well. Um, Because this was, this was five bullets from the beginning uh, from when I first saw it as have pretty much all of his films been. And yeah, I mean, what more is there to say? This is fucking I mean, it's a peach upon. It's great. Uh, I will say to all of our listeners out there that both of these films are about like a flat 100 minutes of these. So they are actually a very fun, feasible double feature. And I definitely recommend you do that. I did the double feature and I started to get tired as I threw on the pitch pong. And I was like, oh, no, I'm going to fall into the trap. But you know what? 
I came out so energized. It was like, it was great. It was perfect. And uh, no better way to spend four hours is to watch these two movies. So I am going to bump it up. I gave it four initially. I'm giving it five. It's top tier of Pitchapong for wow. me now. It's like, it's not my favorite of his, but that doesn't matter because the top half of his filmography are masterpieces. So uh, five bullets from me. I love it. And that's our review. So with that, we are going to say goodbye to our pal Evan, uh, who it's it's a bit later on the East Coast. Uh, us West Coast boys, we like to do a late night pod, which is very inconsiderate to our guests, but hey, <laughs> it's the only way we know. So Evan, thanks for coming on the pod. Uh, where can the fans reach you? Uh, you can reach me on Twitter at, uh, at Evan D. Amaral. Um, I'm sure you guys will put the spelling for that in the show somewhere. <laughs> but um, yeah, so that's the best place. I'm a lot meaner on there, um, but I'm <laughs> on there a lot. So, but I also, if you are in the Atlanta area, keep an eye out. I do a little programming from here to there. So you might catch me at a screening most weekends. Nice. Um, all right. Well, it was nice talking to you and we will see you on the online. See you on the online, yeah. fellas. See ya. Catch you later. <laughs> I just want to walk across the street and <laughs> peacefully without someone shouting, Malcolm from Extended Clip. No, that's not me. <laughs> so we're back and uh, we're doing the email as always. Um, you know, I had an email song in my head and I forgot it already, but it's probably for the better. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we should get a jingle. True. I know. I had like, I've done like five song parodies about getting emails in my head and I'm trying to wait for the best one. <laughs> Let's I mean, in- I posted the one, the Smiths, please, please let me get some emails. <laughs> But we need to hop in the booth. <laughs> record yeah. them, record these. I mean, this is the booth. Yeah. <laughs> the the student. Yeah. All right. So extended clip podcast at gmail.com is where you can always reach us. And our first email comes from Chloe Thurman. It says, I love the pod. Great talking. Do you take requests? The house bunny. Thanks. Now. No, but <laughs> the house bunny I could get down with that yeah yeah <laughs> I've, I've heard some revisionism for that one it seems like it's right mm-hmm. for us yeah. you could pair that with like a classic screwball totally yeah like a marilyn monroe movie or something like that exactly. yeah we love the ladies here extended <laughs> clip ladies night is everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's not it's not just like a theme for us it's kind of more of a way of life i feel like a lot of people go to bat for uh anna Ferris, so yeah. i'll check it out yeah mm-hmm. uh, i remember that one playing theatrically and almost sneaking into it and my mm-hmm. friend saying no because it's a girl movie and i was like well <laughs> <laughs> can't argue with that yeah can't I- argue with that what am i gonna be gay yeah <laughs> no thanks <laughs> I also didn't see it as a youth because of fear of being like seeing a girl movie. Yeah, yeah. classic. Um, let's see. Our next one is from Valerie F. And it says, hey, Eddie, Malcolm, and JT, since we are heading into a few big holidays in the next few weeks and months, are there any movies you watch yearly in the holiday season? Also, are there any movies that aren't about holidays yet you associate them with the time of year? As an example, past few years... Uh, I watched the Back to the Future trilogy during Thanksgiving weekend. Really can't explain why, but I feel there's just something about these movies that feels like very late November. Keep up the great work. Sincerely, Valerie F. 
Hmm. <laughs> I I can't say I'm a big holiday movie fan particularly, but that's not really like what this is. Uh, so if I did have a holiday movie, it wouldn't be you know a Christmas movie or anything like mm-hmm. that necessarily. Uh, probably because there aren't any good ones for Jews. Uh, Eight Crazy Nights is like weak Sandler, and I, I I go to bat for a lot of bad Sandler, but like or quote unquote bad Sandler, but that one's like actually bad. You know, mm-hmm. so. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I feel like I always try to do a New Year's movie kind of thing, but it's a different movie every year. Uh, like l- this past year, I did Phantom Thread on New Year's Eve, and I could see myself returning to that well. I think I watched Phantom Thread like the day before New Year's Eve, the day the year before. So there's that. Kind of counts. I go to the movies every day, or yeah, I go to the <laughs> movies every day up here. 24 <laughs> 7. I'm at this cinema. I'm pointing to my skull. Uh, <laughs> But uh, I go to the movies every Christmas, and uh, that in itself is just like see whatever the one holiday season movie that looks good is. Uh, so it's been Phantom Thread, and it's been The Hateful Eight, and it's been I think I saw The Big Short on Christmas once, and that oh come on. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of The Big Short, I saw The Laundromat this week, which is like Steven Soderbergh's The Big Short, and I'm it's scared. fucking terrible. It's like the wor- and I'm a Soderbergh stan, but that's his worst movie by far uh and i hate mm-hmm. the good german too that's like a boring ass movie but at least it has like technically interesting shit going on david boardwell wrote a really interesting thing about the equipment that he used for the good german this movie has zero redeeming qualities damn i'm you know i'm a huge soderbergh fan too i'm thinking about just skipping it all together because i've heard nothing but if that you're not thing. a completist skip it like sure. the the backstage documentary he did about the band Yes uh, in like the late 80s is more worthwhile than this for sure. I like Yes. I don't, and it's more worthwhile. <laughs> yeah. I've heard, all right, I've heard like three Yes songs. I was like, I can enjoy this. I haven't, mm-hmm. I haven't dug deep. Honesty. You got any holiday movie traditions, JT? Um, yeah, this is actually, I'm going to dip my toes into to, into some normie-ass territory yes. here. Extended um, clip loves the normies. <laughs> um, yeah, for like... My dad is one of those like classic dad kind of guys that really loves uh, when a Christmas story will loop for 24 hours on uh, TBS. Hell yeah! Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like as a kid, I like li- I really loved it a lot as a child. Um, and so that would be like not not necessarily like a tradition to like. Um, sit down and watch it but just he would have it on tv that day and so at various points i would tune in and like peep like a little bit of it like i i think i have it at uh two and a half bullets on yeah. letterbox now but that's only just because i've seen it an unsufferable amount of times <laughs> yeah and i'm not sure if i were to revisit it um what i would think but yeah i don't really other than that i don't have any movies that i associate with like particular holidays or anything like that yeah a christmas story um correct me if someone's already done this but what if it was like a uh, adult uh parody and the one line of dialogue that refrains is uh you'll shoot your eye out with that thing (laughs) (laughs) um i all right my my family usually watches a movie after thanksgiving it's never a repeat but I think I watched Home for the Holidays, a little Jodie Foster directorial effort. Nice. I, I enjoyed it. Uh, we watched Monty Python in the past. Not a fan. Not a fan of Monty Python. I've watched Monty Python on some Jewish holidays before. Yeah. I'm also not a fan. I don't know. It's whatever. Yeah. 
I people, get it. There's the, some jokes in the yeah, sketches, but it's like as a movie. Yeah, it's for the theater kids. One, it good, is for the theater kids. Oh my god. Yeah, it, for one good Mon- Monty Python sketch I remember is that there's just a fat man in a restaurant and he's just throwing up like repeatedly, repeatedly. Like I need more food. Bring me more <laughs> food, and he's just throwing up everywhere. So that's pretty funny. That's good because it makes you think. Exactly. Fat, maybe fat people shouldn't eat so much. <laughs> 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 See, Monty Python were always very like politically aware. <laughs> we're making social commentary, with and the jokes. I think all of the Monty Python people have good politics as well. Oh, probably. for sure, <laughs> yeah. oh, absolutely. Um, our last email comes from Ryan Kelly. Been a long time, and the subject line is "Everybody needs to get." One. I like I like the subject line. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, just wanted to remind everyone to get a flu shot. I know the clip community is split, Shyamalan2016, on the question of vaccination. (laughs) (laughs) I myself have certain suspicions, but the flu this year should be considered deadly, and I can't lose anybody else this year. (laughs) That's pretty funny, man. You know what? That's that's his best one yet. So thank you very much, Ryan. Um, Unfortunately, my insurance does not cover it. Vote for Bernie Sanders 2020. Free at like a CVS (laughs) or something joke it's because it's oh, very it's like the one thing yeah. that everyone can yeah get. uh but yeah like eddie said vote for vote for elizabeth warren yeah i'm pointing to my skull again which means <laughs> you got to think about that one <laughs> that's a way homer you think about it on the way home <laughs> he's pointing to his skull with a gun like jared leto and like those promo pics where he's like oh my head hurts from pointing to my skull to uh, uh represent my intellect too much over the last hour and a half so that's the end of the show for this week, fellas mm-hmm. and ladies. More ladies than fellas. Yeah. Uh, SoundCloud tells me so. Oh yeah. yeah? Oh. <laughs> Damn it! Again. I didn't have to point to my skull this time. JT got that I was. Joking. No, you're just pointing to your crotch. Yeah. <laughs> you have a gun pointed at your dick. I like this setup. Now Malcolm and JT are sitting. I'm standing, <laughs> talking to them. It's like I'm doing my type five. You know? <laughs> so uh, Disney's in the news. You hear about this? <laughs> Disney Plus. Uh, what whatever happened to Walt Disney? Uh, but like a uh, Disney minus. <laughs> minus me. I'm not subscribing. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>